Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Six Nations is upon us and all manner of questions are waiting to be asked. Can Ireland do the double grand slam? Who will start for England and the French? Well, who knows what? It's easier to predict what will happen in Brexit than what will happen in this particular Six Nations. But to help me discuss it all is the former England and Gloucester wing, James Simpson Daniel. Hello, James. How are you? I'm very good. And yourself, apart from your voice? Apart from my voice, yeah. This time of year comes around, everyone gets excited. But this time around, I think they've got just cause, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I was looking through the, uh, looking through the fixtures and you've got to say with the, the Six Nations literally just around the corner... There's probably three or four sides. So actually, realistically, you couldn't really predict. Everyone's saying that Ireland, Ireland are the favourites, but the the three sides underneath them, you could easily be trying to find who's going to be second and third. And I think that's the exciting thing about it. Everyone's anticipating what type of sides they, their coaches are going to select, uh, what combinations they're going to go for. And yeah, I can't wait for the weekend. Well, the thing is, the way the fixtures fall, it's been shown quite conclusively that home advantage means a lot in the Six Nations. But whilst you say that, for example, Wales have got England and Ireland at home, tricky opening fixture away against France, even though they've done very well against them in the past. But just consider this. Everyone is focusing on the England-Ireland game, and it is a big game. But if England lose that, they play France, but they are at home. Whereas if Ireland lose, and they are quite strong favourites, then they have to go to Murrayfield. Now, the Scots are a much different side at Murrayfield. They've become a very difficult side to beat there. And that would be their second consecutive home game because they're playing Italy first, which they should and will win. And who knows what sort of confidence they will have from that. And who knows if Ireland were to lose, what frame of mind they would be in. Scotland have got both Wales and Ireland at home. And actually, I think... Secretly, they'd be quite disappointed if they don't get one of those scalps. Yeah, and it's really interesting when you go through the fixtures. You, every game is such an important match. There's no kind of easy one there. You know, you, you pointed it out. Scotland will be fancy themselves to beat Italy first up. Then if something goes wrong in the Ireland game, like you're saying, very easily could, Scotland then be thinking, well, why can't we go after the Irish at, uh, at Murrayfield? Then they're going into the third game. You don't know what side the French are like. They, you know, sometimes... France gets so close to beating Ireland last Six Nations uh, in France. Get it, you know, Sexton hits an amazing drop goal after 
how many 35 phases or something from 40 metres out. Uh, but if France haven't got their game on, on that third round, suddenly Scotland win that game. Then they're going into the fourth match thinking, well, why can't we beat the Welsh at home here? And then we're one game off. You know, we're almost <laughs> even talking about a grand slam there when you talk like that. It's, it's almost, it's amazing to think of it that way. But as you say, you know, if Ireland get it right first up against England, you'd expect them to go up there and they'll be fancy themselves to Murrayfield. So you're almost contradicting yourself every time you go through it. Exactly. There's, you're looking at it and there's only a couple of fixtures. You're looking at it and going, well, you know what? Pretty confident that's going to be what the outcome of that game will be. The other ones, it's almost a bit like the Premiership. The gap has been bridged on those sides below the top, if that makes sense. Well, Wales, um, I hate to say they've flown under the radar because anyone who knows and looks at the strength of their squad knows that they are a very, very good side when they play well. But I just think the opening fixture is so important for them because if they win that and they've got the two home games against Ireland and England, they would, maybe should, be looking for a Grand Slam or at least to win the title. Yeah, and it's funny because this is a Welsh side that when you're looking at the Autumn Internationals, they haven't done a lot wrong. I know they didn't play against New Zealand, but they won their other matches. They beat Australia, uh, beat South Africa, and, and and actually you're thinking, this Welsh side, why aren't we giving them more credit than than they're getting at the moment? People are just people really aren't talking about them winning the Six Nations this this season. And the only thing that does make me a little bit nervous for them, missing Falatau, missing Halfpenny you know, in the big matches, you kind of rely on, they've relied on Halfpenny to kick their goals a lot, keep the scoreboard ticking over. Uh, Falatau's a massive presence, big ball carrier. And it does just make you think, can the guys almost around them step up their game, lift their game to to fill the gap of them guys missing? Because they've been massively dependent on Halfpenny over the years. Um, but you're absolutely right. How we're not giving them more time of day and how almost when you're hearing people talking about the Six Nations, they're not being mentioned more, the Welsh. In a funny way, I bet they're quite fancying themselves behind closed doors. They're sat there doing all their training and thinking, well, you know what? We don't need to be talked about. Let's just stick to our own game plan. We've won the autumn. We haven't done anything wrong. And let's go and back ourselves for the Six Nations. Well, Eddie Jones said that he felt that this squad was the strongest one he'd been able to pick from an England point of view. And in some senses, he's right. He's got very important players back like the Vunipoli brothers. And he's got the comfort of knowing that players, for example like Mark Wilson, are very good standbys, mm. if not to be in the match day squad. So he's got that, but he's still got the problem of who does he select, both starting and on the bench. And let's go into that, because a lot of people, and there was a big poll on this, want to see Teo Tuolangi and Thokina Senior play in the same side. But whilst I think that that is a, an experiment worth doing at some point because the upsides are so big could he possibly do that against Ireland in an opening match well for me this first game against the Irish you're going to get tested on your core skills and they Ireland will play a very balanced game plan but they'll first and foremost there's a bit of that similarity to the way Saracens used to play they've evolved their game now they play more of a an expansive game but the way that the Irish play they'll put the ball in the air and go well you catch it if you drop it we're going to get the ball back or you know, or you might knock it on. We'll play advantage from it. They're going to test your core skills. So going back to the original question, would you play those three? There's definitely value for them playing at some point. It's almost a type of combination that, in the utmost respect, if you were to play them against an Italy, maybe even a Scotland, could you see more gains from them with ball in hand? I think this type of a game, you could almost break Cockner Singer's uh, confidence. I think because 
you, they're going to be sticking the ball on him all day long. And if the kicks are good, which they generally are from the Irish, if he drops one or two, suddenly you know he, he almost he gets targeted a bit more. And then you then you're almost questioning: Can you play him in the next match? Because the opposition do the same thing. Are you not better off going for your safest, most solid back three under the high ball, positionally and defensively very good? I expect you're going to see probably Johnny May, Jack Knoll, and then it's whether you go for you know the old reliable Mike Brown because he's safe, or whether you get Daly there. Um, well, that's a question that Gregory Mason asked. And having seen Elliot Daly struggle under the high ball when playing Leinster, should he be there? Now, you know what you get with Mike Brown. He is the best defensive fullback. Very rarely drops the ball. Actually, he's got an uncanny ability to beat the first defender as well. Mm. Elliot Daly brings other things like a very big boot and like a lot of pace. But I can easily see Jones picking Brown, if not for the duration of the tournament but for this game in particular because of the reasons you said yeah and that's the point you know and you've got to have that tactical confidence as a coach and we know Eddie Jones has got that but confidence in what you're doing you know Brownie could go out there on Saturday get man of the match and I think you've then got to have the self-confidence to go yes he was perfect for this particular game going out to Ireland trying to get a, a result out there but moving forwards for the rest of the tournament now I'm probably not going to be starting him you maybe start him if you felt there was going to be another 50-50 game where it was going to be an arm wrestle. But if there's ever a game for Mike Brown, it's this one. But then having the confidence to go, you know what? Now I'm putting Daly straight back in there and I'm going back to this running brand of rugby that I want to play. Well, we've been talking about the big clash between Ireland and England. And why don't we get an Irish perspective? Stephen Ferris, the former Ireland flanker, just climbed Kilimanjaro. So I hope he's not too tired. Hello, Stephen. Hello. How are you? Okay, look, uh, very quickly, Kilimanjaro is seen by quite a lot of people as a bit of a stroll. It's not like that, is it, actually? No, definitely not. Um, Something that I probably underestimated for sure, but it was all in aid of a good cause in the IRFU Charitable Trust, which helps severely injured rugby players. And I think Mike McCarthy played for Leinster and Connacht, Shane Byrne. um, Obviously, you'd know Shane well Mm. from over the years, playing for Leinster and Ireland and the Lions, and Marcus Horne as well. So, the four of us headed over to Africa, uh, Tanzania, and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and raised a hell of a lot, hell of a lot of money. So it was good fun, but it was grueling. Um, yeah, I deserve a couple of days rest now for sure. Uh, well, there's a reason why in the history of the four, five, and six nations, which goes back well over a hundred years, there are only six sides that have ever won back-to-back Grand Slams. So it is a difficult uh, task for Ireland. Many people expect them to do it because of the way they've played and the position they find themselves in the world rankings. What do you see as Ireland's toughest match? I think the, the first match is, is is always tough. I've been on the receiving end of a last-minute kick by Lee Halfpenny to, uh, for Wales to, to beat Ireland in, in, in the first game. And Wales went on to win the Grand Slam that year. I think it was 2010. Um, and, you know, if you don't get off to a winning start, then you're, you're fighting an uphill battle and I think this first game is is absolutely huge, Brian. There's so much on the line. You know, Eddie Jones. I'm sure you might touch on it with me. You know, uh, and a defence coach coming out and saying all sorts of things in the in the media and in the build up to this match. I can assure you, Ireland are just thinking about themselves and they're thinking about getting the victory. And I wouldn't be a betting if I was a betting man. I wouldn't be betting against uh, uh, against Ireland doing a number in England on Saturday. So just going back to the point you were just making there, you talk about this first game. 
you know, putting yourself back into camp, it's the old cliche about taking it one game at a time. Would all focus have just been in the build-up to this? It's all about Saturday. Forget everything moving forwards. It's literally about this this game against England on the weekend. I think from a player's point of view, yes. But from a coaching point of view, absolutely not. Uh, Andy Farrell, Joe Smith, Simon Easterby, they'll be analysing everything and even in the next couple of weeks the, the fixtures that they have coming up so yes of course the importance is this weekend against England but from a coaching perspective it's about the whole tournament if I was putting myself back into camp you know you'd just be analysing your opposition mm. doing your homework on uh, on key players uh, making sure that you know the referee what he's hot on what he's going to penalise on and leaving no stone unturned so that when it comes to kick off that you know you're fully prepared and I think that's one thing that you can recognise with Joe Smith's teams over the last six years that he's been in charge of Ireland is that they are fully prepared for absolutely everything and you know England I believe are going to come to Dublin with some kind of game plan to outsmart uh, Ireland and that's what I'm very intrigued to to see uh, what's going to pan out but, but you know if every Irish fan is riding on the crest of a wave at the minute there's so much confidence about not only the rugby players but also, also the fans and when they get behind the team we're going to be Ireland and are going to be a very difficult team to beat How much experimenting do you think Joe Schmidt will do throughout the tournament? Yeah uh, I suppose you know leading into the World Cup it's maybe an opportunity to test out a few people but I think Joe has the, the 35 to 40 players in his mind that uh, are going to be in, in, in for selection towards the World Cup. Joe Smith will want to win this championship. He'll want to keep making history, try and win a back-to-back Grand Slam. And of course, you know, that, that all starts on Saturday against England. And I don't know what you guys think, and you've probably been in the media a lot more over in, in the English papers, but it just seems that there seems to be a bit of arrogance coming from the English side and nobody kind of understands why because, you know, obviously Ireland put them to the sword in Twickenham last year. So it just feels that they're coming over here with, with something, even though they don't really have the right to, to do so. Well, we will see. I don't think you can necessarily interchange what Eddie Jones says for the mood in the camp, actually. But uh, yeah, anyway, true. What, what do you expect the position to be come March 16th for Ireland? Yeah, well, you know, if, if they won four out of five games and were able to retain the championship, I think that would be a tremendous achievement. And it'd also be a great springboard and into the, the World Cup. You know, there's 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 teams in the in the Six Nations that are are always a, a a tough game, but when it comes to the international stage, I think Ireland's proven over the last year that. Uh, they are the team to beat at the minute. They are the team with the target on their back, and you know, to all the other teams at the minute, they are a bit of a scalp. So, uh, you know, the, the lads are going to have to be wary of that. Uh, but for me, Ireland are strong in every position. And, you know, I feel that they're going to come out winners come the end of the tournament. So confident, rightly so, and uh, with good reason. Thanks very much, Stephen. Thanks, Brian. Cheers, James. Cheers, mate. Well, Wales, are we not underestimating them, but have we not been talking about them enough. Why don't we ask the former Wales and Lions winger Shane Williams about this. Hello, Shane. Evening, guys. You're made marginal favourites by no less than uh, Ian McGeekin. Um, <laughs> tricky opening fixture, but six out of seven wins against France in the last runs of fixtures. How confident are you? I'm, I'm relatively confident. I think Wales are in a good place at the moment. You know, successful autumn series. You know, they've got a lot of momentum, but... 
I think there's, uh, you know, there's one of there's three teams that can win this Six Nations. I think Ireland, in my eyes, are the favourite, the most consistent team at the moment. Uh, quite a phenomenal autumn series for them beating the All Blacks and of course England are going to be no pushovers either so um, I, I, I don't know if they'd be favourites but I'm, I'm still confident especially with Ireland and England at home that um, you know Wales can, can do it Do you think the uh, the Welsh are almost do you think they're almost quite content behind closed doors to be ticking over without this you know what's going on about Ireland and England and we were talking to Stephen Ferris a moment ago and he's absolutely right England have no rights to for me to to feel that they should be favourites, should are the Welsh almost be quite content behind closed doors that no one's really giving them the chance in the time of day? Yeah, I think so. I think it's great, isn't it, when no one's really putting pressure on you. Mm. Everyone's been talking up Ireland at the moment, and probably rightly so. You know, they, they at the moment they're the best team in the world, and uh, you know, with their regions and their their provinces doing so well as well, I think all emphasis is on them and. England are always going to have that pressure. Eddie Jones is always going to have that pressure. And Eddie Jones likes to talk up his team, which I believe puts his, his team under more pressure. Mm. So um, I think Wales will be really happy at the moment that they know that you know they have strength and depth, probably more strength and depth that, that they have in the last 10, 10 years. And no one's really talking about them. And I think that's great. And, and just, just on that point quickly, you mentioned about the strength and depth, obviously Falatau being missing and Lee Halfpenny being on the sidelines as well. It's... You know, these are two big individuals for them. They're big match winners, aren't they? Halfpenny was, you know, he'd always be the reliable one to kick, keep the scoreboard going over, ticking it over. And uh, and obviously Falatown with ball in hand, big carry, big presence. Who's going to be the obvious guys that need to almost lift up their game a little bit to, to almost um, take a bit of the pressure on themselves with those guys missing? Yeah, well, it, it's obvious really. I think, you know, Toby Falatown was a huge loss. Everyone got really excited in Wales when, when he came back and uh, and played like he did for Bath in his in his in his game back uh, first game back and then obviously the injury panic buttons were pressed again but I think you know the back row at the moment we, we we're blessed that we do have uh, quality back row we have the likes of Navidi that can play seven and eight and there's a there's a boy at the Dragons playing exceptionally well Wayne Wright and uh, obviously with uh, Falatel come back from injury it would have been interesting to see who would have started between the two of them because. Despite the Dragons being poor uh, this season, he's been phenomenal. He really has. So, you know, it, it's a godsend, really, sometimes that uh, you have these players coming through, especially when you have a player of, of Toby's, uh, Falatau's stature in the Welsh team injured. And with Lee Halfpenny again, I think we're very lucky that the back three in Wales is, is a tight berth. I think we've got some really good players coming through. Shane, I was talking about the combinations of, of fixtures, and, and in particular this. If you lose your first game, as you know, pressure is immediately on you. But, for example, if Wales were to lose in France, they at least have got the second game against Italy. So they can restore confidence because they are better than Italy. I tend to think, actually, that one of the most difficult games for Wales might well be away at uh, Edinburgh. Yeah, um, I completely agree, I think. You know, first and foremost, the first game is almost the most important game in the in the Six Nations. You know, yeah, you lose that and and, and you're playing catch up straight away. And having seen the the French squad and uh, and some of the youngsters they they they're playing and blooding and uh, the experience they have, they they are going to be very difficult at home. But yeah, Scotland, uh, Scotland and Murrayfield Wales have have really struggled a bit the the last few years, and I think Scotland playing with confidence, they always play better at home. You know they, they they tend to come out of their shell a little bit. They move the ball down, transfer it in the t- uh, out the tackle area, and look more content at home. And uh, and Wales know that. 
you know, yeah, like you say, if they do lose their first game, you'd like to think that they could go to Rome and, and beat Italy. And then it's a huge game in Murrayfield. So um, I, I think I'd have to agree. I think obviously the, the, the French game is, is massively important. But Scotland in Murrayfield at the moment uh, is also very difficult. And, and the likes of New Zealand and these teams have found that out. Uh, I'm asking all the guests this, so I'm not singling you out. Uh, come March the 16th, where do you think Wales will be? Oof. I think, um, I, I truly think that, that they get a good chance. Both, you know, the games that they're under pressure and playing are the England and Ireland games, which they have at home. And I, I always back Wales at home. But, you know, at the moment, you know, Ireland, uh, for me, are the best team in the world. They've definitely proven in the past that they can go to Cardiff and win far too often for my liking. So um, I, th- I think we, m- we may have uh, the Irish on the top and, and, and Wales just there uh, on second. Pains me to say, but uh, I just I couldn't bet against Ireland at the moment. Shane, great to speak to you again. Thank you very much. Cheers, bro. Thank you. Well, to complete uh, the Celtic uh, viewpoints, why don't we speak to Sean Lamont, the former Scotland fullback, now part of Scotland's rugby coaching team. Hello, Sean. Hi, Brian. How are you doing, mate? Okay, mate. I've said all along, I wrote today in my Telegraph column, that I thought that the destination of the title may well be decided by Scotland. Not that they will necessarily win the championship, although they do have a decent chance, but the games they've got at home against Ireland and Wales will be really difficult for the away sides, given the way in which Scotland are playing at home. Would you be disappointed, or how disappointed would you be if you didn't knock at least one of those off? Well, to be fair, we'd be disappointed if we, we didn't get all three, and that's definitely what we're targeting. And in the past, when we've won the three home games, and we've, we've done well on the table, and like I say you, you, you win your three home games and you, you steal away win, and then you're, you're looking at, if not winning it, you're, you're pretty damn close. So that's certainly what the guys are, are targeting this, this year. So, down to Twickenham for a Grand Slam game, then? That would be nice. <laughs> Put one over and hit a little on the old enemy, as it were. So. Yeah, we've, I've, had enough, I've had enough of that. I'm still having therapy for that. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. But, I mean, it's the same as every year. It's just, I suppose it's the old cliche of you've got to take every game as it comes. And, obviously, the first hurdle we've got to get over is, is Italy. And if you want to win the tournament, you've got to start by sort of winning your first game. I think because some start somewhere where if you don't win your first game, it makes it a damn sight harder to to win the tournament. I've not heard the, the exact numbers, but it's highly likely when the team that wins their first games go on to, to win the tournament. Sean, it's James here. Right, mate. Just everyone's been talking recently, actually, about the Scottish brand of rugby and how it's grown. You know, it's exciting to watch, playing with all the width of the field. And is that almost a theme that we're going to see continuing on through the Six Nations? It's very easy when you come to big tournaments, almost change your game plan, almost shrink a little bit. Is the plan very firmly amongst camp to let's continue to play this high-tempo game, use all the width of the pitch and and, and back ourselves? Is that we're in possession? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, look, it's... I've been around we want to play and it's been working for us, so we've got to keep going. And there's a big one just like tidy up little areas. I mean, if you look at last year, the, the trip down to England where it didn't quite work or like the year before, it just didn't play how we should have done and it cost us um, cost us big time but like I say it's consistency it's a bloody tough tournament now these days and it's small margins and you lose a game here or, or against the run of form and it can it can cost you massively so 
that, and that's the thing. It's the same with everybody. You've got to be squeaky clean in this tournament because you've got to take every chance you're given. Sean, I'm asking all the guests uh, today, same question, so I'm not trying to just single you out. Come March 16th, where do you expect to be in the table? Well, I'm always an absolute massive optimist when it comes to Scotland, so I'm going to be saying top for myself. Good man. Good <laughs> I couldn't man. say any other way, could I? <laughs> the boys would kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, uh, the best of luck, um, obviously apart from the Twicken fixture, from my point of view, and you, you wouldn't expect me to say anything different, but it's great yeah, to speak you, to you. You'd be the only one. There's great the to speak. Will, the rest of the world will be going the other way. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Good to speak to you again, mate. Cheers, Sean. No, 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 cheers. Well, very shortly, hopefully, we'll speak to Connor O'Shea, the current uh, Italy coach. But why don't we mention France now? I hesitate to do this because, and this is a huge cliche, but it is so because there is an element of truth in it. You just don't know. If France get off to a good start and they beat Wales, then anything is possible with them, actually. Totally agree. We were talking earlier, we've briefly talked about the uh, victory that Ireland got over France last, last Six Nations. They were so close in that game to turning over Ireland. And if they do manage to do that, it's quite a different Six Nations. And it's it's so bad to say it, isn't it? But I'm agreeing with you. It's typically, you know, you use the line typical French. You know, it's typically French fashion. If they can get off to a good start, like you say, they'll be really tough for anyone to beat. They are so they were so close last season to doing a job in that Ireland side. Had they have done that, things could have gone slightly different in the Scotland game. They're then suddenly knocking on the door of winning the Six Nations. Now I think this squad that they've called in, they've called in some of the youngsters, haven't they? I think Shane, Shane uh, mentioned it a moment ago. Shane Williams said a moment ago how they've brought in some of these youngsters. Is it going to be a year or two too soon? They're trying to get the, it's almost the under 20 side that won the World Cup that clearly are, they're very bright for the future. It's almost, right, how quickly can we get them in and around the environment? It might be a World Cup too soon. It might be a Six Nations too soon. I've got no doubt that they are getting better, he reluctantly says. But you just need to see it, don't you? You, 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 you? Between you and I, I've got no hair to pull out left. But if we <laughs> did, it's the type of side that you'd be pulling your hair out watching them because they do some spectacular things that no one can live up with and then they will just completely well, shoot themselves in the foot. What we do know is they've got size and power in the pack in abundance and on the bench. So to that extent, they will always be good in a set piece. Yeah. Whether mobile enough remains to be seen and that also... Uh, depends on whether you're good enough to retain the ball and stretch them continually. Because people say just run them around. That's easier said than done. Again, and again it's a cliche, but the halfback pairing, who will play there, whether they will play in their usual club positions, I just don't know. (laughs) And that is going to be absolutely crucial because of the direction that's given. If they get that right, that is a huge plus and they could do very well. Get that wrong... And again, a lot of the efforts that the forwards will put in could be undone. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the point is, when you're looking to build your side, you need to have certain key individuals that are there consistently. You build your side around them. You know, I look at England, you think of Farrell, you think of Vunapola, uh, Billy Vunapola at number eight. And you've got key players, and everyone's got them. Johnny Sexton would be a very key player for, for Ireland. And you're thinking with the French, well, show me your three or four key players, your key drivers, the guys that are going to be in charge out on the pitch. And like you said, you don't know quite who's going to be in what position, let alone uh, who it's going to be. And I think that's it. That's the problem that the French almost need to nail down certain positions, go, right, you are our future. You guys are going to be there. Yes, you'll have bad games. We're going to stick with you. We, we are really putting our confidence in you. 
drive this side forwards and we can build the rest of the side around you. We can build a nasty front row, a nasty pack, some big lumps uh, in, in the midfield and a flary back three. But they need the key, you know, eight, ten, well, eight, nine, ten, maybe a hooker to know exactly where they're going with, with their squad. Teddy Tomar not there, Bastaro will be there. I mean, Para and Lopez, really good players, but for me, they need to be given the vote of confidence to say, right, this is a halfback pairing. Barring injury, you are going to do the lot. Precisely, and build consistency. Get, get guys a run of matches. We talk about these under-20 lads that they might be trying to blood through. If you're going to put them in there, I remember Australia doing it years ago. They were putting in the likes of a young 18-year-old Gitto and people that but maybe didn't have a lot of club experience. And then suddenly they were building up a load of game experience and they might not peak perfectly for this tournament right now, but they're building for the future. And you can't, you've got to start somewhere when you're building for the future. Yes, it's about the World Cup, but you've got to get the guys in there. You stick with them. And I think the only thing that you've got to say that's probably going to go against France this season for me, unlike um, previous, is they've got tough away matches this season. They've got to go to England. Uh, they've got to go to Twickenham, sorry. They've got to go out to Ireland. Those two straightaway ones that they don't get them right, they've lost, and then it's all a bit of a, it's all a bit ugly. I think when they've got them at home, they they can end up actually be looking at the uh, the Six Nations and think, you know what, we've got to back ourselves against beating England in France. We've got to back ourselves against beating Ireland in France, and then we're just looking around Italy, Wales, and 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 uh, and Scotland, seeing who you can nick wins against. And I think if they can do that, they're then going to be knocking on the door of top twos. But until they can get that, as I say, for me, this this tournament this season. It might have all come around a little bit too soon for them, but I certainly think that we, you know, I think we're going to see the better of of the French moving forwards, and I hopefully, on an English basis, hopefully we won't be seeing that uh, in the World Cup. You can get involved in the Six Nations by picking your dream team with the Telegraph's fantasy rugby game. Free to play, but you could win five grand. All you have to do is visit telegraph.co.uk forward slash play fantasy rugby and sign up. Well, what of Italy? Why don't we get everything right from the top source? Because I'm really pleased to say Conor O'Shea, the Italy head coach, is on the line. Hello, Conor. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hi, James. I'm okay. The problem I foresee for Italy is that they have definitely improved under your tutelage and they are moving forward. The unfortunate thing is so is everyone else. And this particular Six Nations, you've got the other sides that are probably in as good a position I can remember pre-World Cup as they've ever been. How do you cope with that? Uh, you know, it's difficult because I'd like to say, and I agree with you in terms of there's a lot that's going on that we're, we're, we're very happy that we've made a lot of progress in terms of the young players. Uh, Treviso's performances are and Kieran Crowley, the work he's doing there. We've started a project with Zebra. They have injuries to Zebra and us, to people like Matteo Monopsi and Marchi Violi and uh, Mattia Bellini, to name three, that would impact Zebra and us. But there's a lot of good things happening. The challenge we have is we have to make sure we arrive and play. In the last 12, 18 months, we've beaten Fiji and Georgia and Japan in the second test away from home. We've played some really good rugby against Scotland and the Six Nations last year, against Australia in November without return. And we have to create a habit of performing at that level. If we, if we perform at the levels that we did against Scotland, against Australia, the results will happen. But when you're all the time playing at the very highest level, maintaining the energy and the confidence is a huge, huge challenge. And that's something that we just 
say, okay, I'll, I'll take the count for the, I'll take the hit for the results. Players, we have a level that we need to recreate on a regular basis and it has to create that habit of performance. And then you, you, you trust that the results will follow. So it is, it's a huge challenge, no doubt about it, but there's no doubt also that we're making strides here in the right direction. Yeah, so, so, so just to almost elaborate a little bit there, Colin, so you're saying you don't actually sit down before the Six Nations and go, right, lads, we're targeting three victories here. And we don't get how we get them. You're more a case of let's get our brand of rugby right. Let's play to the best of our abilities and then the results will take care of themselves. And if it means that it's not good enough to get a win, we'll still accept that because we're showing that our performance on the field is better. Is that kind of the way well, you, you're looking it, at things? You have to be realistic. You stand in front of a group of players uh, and if I stood in front of yourself with Brian and I said, performance is all that matters. We don't care about winning. You'd actually go, get out of the room, please. I'm a competitive person. I want to win. I'm not going to stand in front of Leo Galdini before his 100th cap for Italy or Sergio Parise and say, we're preparing to compete. Mm. What we're saying is, what do we control? And we control the level of performance. So the result will look after itself if we create that habit of performance and we have enough benchmarks now. You know, we've had to create, and there's so many other things that we need to do. I'm sure someone sat in my shoes now they go oh, why are you doing this this and this well we can only do as much as we can with the resource we have but we're making massive strides mm. in the right direction but we have to control and make sure our level of performance is consistent and the results will follow and you then play for the big moments and matches when when you're the underdog a lot of a lot of the times they don't go your way because you know human nature may a decision might go against you a preconception if we keep on doing the right things, if we have that mental resilience to keep on coming back and maintaining the energy, and it's bloody hard to maintain energy when you don't get that result that you crave, but we'll just have to keep on coming. And we want to win. We prepare to win, but we control our performance level, and that has to be the focus. And then from that, the result will happen. So it's a multifaceted challenge. It's a challenge physically. It's a challenge mentally. But it's brilliant. It's a, it's a great challenge. And, uh, you know, as I said, it's, it's one that you just keep on working to, to look forward to the next game, to the next game, to the next game. But we played, Jamie, you're too young. Myself and Brian played against <laughs> the Italian side in the 90s. And they were one heck of a team. And you didn't take them lightly, or you did at your peril. And we're probably paying for the sins of not having evolved as a system for almost 20 years. It's not that everyone hasn't worked hard. They just haven't evolved since the game went pro. So it's so multifaceted. It's, it's incredibly exciting. We feel we're going in the right direction, but this, Brian hit the nail, is the biggest challenge of them all. Connor, when you're talking about the developments and so on, I know, obviously, you want to win. I know the results are important, but given that virtually nobody expects anything in particular from you results-wise, does that give you almost a bit more freedom to experiment? Competitively, if, if you were talking to someone who, and I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about players, about people, and you're competitive animals. When you live in your bubble and you live in that environment, you, you, you don't look at it like that. And I think actually if, if you had these sort of people who were accept, accepting of defeat, you're actually in the wrong place. So you want to hurt and you want to feel, you know, uh, not wronged, but bad when you haven't actually got what you work for and you strive for. Uh, But then we have to be realistic as well in terms of, uh, you know, 
if we play our absolute maximum and the opposition do, who is better at this moment in time? But if we play and little moments, and when I say little, energy moments go your way in a game, which give you that confidence, and that's what we're craving. So what I don't want to see is we've is an inconsistent level of performance and we've had to go through a number of phases and every team has injuries going to the championship so you'd never look at that but I just want to see a consistent level I think it's pretty defeatist to say you know we want to be judged in results it is a harsh world it, it is the world we inhabit when you go into sport and you stick your hand up and people will trot out statistics and say you know Italy haven't won since 2015 the Six Nations etc etc well truth is we play at the very highest level always but the biggest thing I think everyone can see they said with Kieran Crowley and Marco Bortolami Antonio Pavanello and what they're doing in Treviso and the, the start of the project in, in Zebra and then the under 20s and everyone sees something is happening mm. how quickly we can bridge the gap to the top level uh, you know as I say beat Fiji beat Japan beat Georgia thank you we want to do that uh, in the last 18 months but the teams above us Getting to that level is a is a different challenge, but we feel we're putting the pieces together, and the only proof is on the pitch. Yeah, really interesting. Just just a final one for me, Connor. Are we going to see some more tactical genius like we did um, previously against England? <laughs> have, you had the rule, have you had the rule book again. out? They having have you been looking they, through the rule book? They wouldn't. Have, nah, looked through it plenty of times, but I'll just I might ring Brian off air for a little <laughs> bit of advice. He can give me some. Connor, uh, we've got to leave it there, but uh, the best of luck, mate. I know. What you're striving to do, it's a big task and I wish you every success in it. Cheers, Brian. Good Cheers, James. Actually, I mean, no different uh, place than I was before I spoke to Connor. He understands the magnitude of the task and it is right that he's improved things. In fact, the performances in the uh, Pro 14 have shown that something is happening that's beneficial at club level. But he, you can't get away from the fact that this time it seems that all his opponents have more or less got into a, a position that they'd like to be in for this tournament. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I, I don't know what you feel like. I love listening to him talk. I think when he speaks, you you know, you're actually thinking he really knows what he's talking about here. There's no, you know, there's no BS. He he really is on it. Interesting again. How do you look at a group of players? And you can't tell a group of players to not expect to win. And I, I find all that side of it fascinating. They've got to have belief, but also they've got to be realistic. He can't turn around and say, well, let's just play our best brand of rugby, try and be as good as we can be, don't worry about winning and whatever else. But equally, he can't turn around and go, right, well, we're playing against Ireland, we're playing against the All Blacks, if we play our best, we're probably going to win, because it's just not not as realistic as as what you think. So I think it's one of those tricky jobs that he's got. But when you when you break it down and you hear him talking there, he's absolutely right. Domestically, they are competing. They're winning in matches now you know we saw there was a draw I think for Treviso wasn't it on Friday night against Ulster now it might have been a slightly different Ulster to the side you've seen playing in Europe however they are competing now in their league and slowly one of those sides will then think right I want to be towards the top of the table now not towards the bottom and that will then hopefully spill over into the international rugby then they'll be nicking a game or two in the Six Nations and again the whole thing is just the gap is closed all the way throughout uh, the Six Nations, which I think you know everyone would love that. In a funny way, every time Italy are playing, I'm, al- I'm always half cheering them on to try and nick that win because you really want them to do it, even though sometimes they can be frustrating to watch. But as they say, I think they've got a lot of good drivers out there in the coaches and the management out in Italy now. And fingers crossed, we're going to see them getting better as a, as a country. Well, of course, 
the men's Six Nations is not the only Six Nations that's going along. The women's runs alongside it. And who better to speak to about England's chances than the Red Roses head coach, Simon Middleton. Hello, Simon. I'm Brian. Last year, Grenoble, title lost, single point, but it was in front of a record crowd. Why do you think it will be different this time? Oh, hopefully it'll be different. I think I think both, both squads, both in terms of ourselves uh, and France, along with Ireland and, and I would imagine Scotland, Wales and Italy as well, have gone through quite a few changes uh, since last year. We've brought in a lot of young players. I know the other the other nations have as well. So uh, I think it'll probably be a probably a, a case of who gels the best, uh, who hits the straps and, and probably who gets a little bit of a rub of the green. Hopefully that'll be us. Do you think you can compete uh, up front with them? Because they are a bit like the male counterparts. They are very powerful. Yeah, they're, they're a fantastic set up front. Well, having said that, I think certainly for, for the last uh, four or five years, we, you know, we, we've, we've been progressing well as a, as a pack and we've been very strong, uh, certainly in the build-up to the 2017 World Cup. Uh, we've regrouped it a little bit, uh, like most sides. We've brought some young players in. Uh, we also brought a new forward coach in, in Richard Blaze. And you know, we're we're really confident that if we get if we get our processes right and and, and people perform to their maximum, you know, we'll we'll certainly be uh, more than a match for for uh, for any of the packs and starting with Ireland. And Simon, hi, it's James here. Um, just with your strength in depth of the squad, obviously you've got Lydia Thompson, Vicky Fleetwood, Zoe Oldcroft all injured. Is that obviously ideally you have them fit and well? But is that going to be a big impact on on your uh, your side? Are you pretty confident you've got? You know, got the ladies to come in and fill their shoes. Uh, James, uh, yeah, I, I think you know, we're, I don't think we're any different to any of the other sides at the moment. Speaking to to all the coaches at the the launch last week, there, there seems to be quite a quite a lot of injuries at the moment. We 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 are lucky. We we do have a lot of strength and depth. I think that you know the players that you've mentioned there are, are, are great quality players and experienced international players. But I look at it this way: you know, there's players we want to look look at anyway, building towards the the next World Cup and this gives us a great opportunity and we, we can't do anything more than what we're doing to get those players back on the field and uh, you know and obviously it'd be great to have a fully fit squad but we've, we've got some great young players both in our, our, our pack and our backs and you know we, it's a great opportunity for them and you know it's there for them to take. Some of the players who had been concentrating on sevens are now back in the 15s fold do you think that they have had enough time, I mean, very different games, to uh, to get fully back into the different dynamics of the full game? Uh, no, I, I, you know, I think I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be kidding us all if I said that they had, uh, had enough time. Obviously, the, the more time they spend back in the 15s, the better. Uh, probably, you know, you're probably looking at a good three, four months for a full transition back in because they have to do it physically and they have to do it from a from a game playing point of view. But you know, we, we've been lucky enough to be able to get them on the field with their club sides and and they performed really well. Uh, Emily Scarlett came back this week. She she, she had a, a bit of an hamstring issue, but she's she's cleared that up now and it's great to get her back on the field. And she was fantastic. She had 40 minutes for for Lucrowine and, uh, and had a great impact on the game. As as uh, Mo Hunt and Jess Breach coming back in from sevens. So yeah, I think that they, they, they could definitely do with a bit more time, but you know, time's not what we've got at the moment. And uh, what we'll do is make sure we, we manage them as appropriately as we can, both in terms of you know, their, their welfare and also in terms of what, you know, what we need as a, as a squad at any given time. Uh, just a last question, Simon. The, the way that the fixtures fall, they obviously mirror 
um, a lot of the male fixtures. But I just wonder this. Although it is a great honour and it's a thrill for the women to be on the big stages like Twickenham, given the number of people who watch, it, that can be quite difficult, can't it? Would you prefer them to look at venues like the England-Italy game with Sandy Park where you have a better chance of getting something like a full stadium which creates a different sort of atmosphere? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's merit involved, to be honest, Brian, but I think you've made a great point there. I think that, you know, there's, there's nothing better than being in a stadium that, that's full, creates the atmosphere that, that you want for fixtures like this. I think that's, we're certainly looking at that as well as taking the, the game out to, to Sandy Park and to, and to, uh, to Doncaster this year. I, I think it's a real thrill for the girls to play at Twickenham and you know, if we could get the 80,000 to stay in, uh, generally in when we come onto the field, that'd be brilliant. I don't think that will be the case. But having said that, we've had 10, 12,000 in at Twickenham and, and it does create a, a great a great atmosphere. So I think there's a, a little bit of merit in both. But I think you know it, it's a work in progress for us and, and the French are certainly showing us how to do it. We, as you said right at the start, we, we lost by a point in France last year in Grenoble there were 17,000 fans in, in the in the stadium and you know it was just an incredible stage to, to play on and, and then a great event to be part of so you know we're, we've some work to do to catch them up on that front and, and if we can do that and we get to that stage and I think we'll, you know, we'll be in great shape and, and probably reflect what the what the girls deserve in, to, in terms of how they commit themselves to, 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 the, to the shirt and how they play Simon it's great to speak to you once again and can I give you and the squad, uh, our very best wishes. Thanks very much indeed, much appreciated. James, let's wrap up with our predictions for England. What is a minimum return that's acceptable? Um, All the home games, certainly. Yeah, I'd say, I think England, I'd, I'd be happy if England came second in the Six Nations. I think we've got to be realistic from where we have been. Yes, it's got a little bit better in the autumn. The summer was a bit of a disaster. So I'd, if someone offered me second now, I'd take the hand off and I'd say, you know what? In a funny way, I'd almost say lose a f- if we lost the first match against the Irish, then we win the, the remaining matches, that's pretty good, taking us yeah. into the World Cup, pre-World Cup. I'd almost rather do it that way around than go win, 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 win and lose to the Irish <laughs> at the end because then you're going into it as a, on a loss. I, I agree with that. I, I also think that whilst the home games are the minimum expectation... It also depends, if they were to lose to Ireland and Wales, how close it is. Mm. If you lose a game and there's one score in it, and it's genuinely the case that you can say, well, had something happened in a different way, had one mistake not occurred, had bounce of a ball, decision or whatever, gone our way, then we could uh, have won that. Then you are much better having that. If they get gubbed in either of those games, either of the away games, that, to me, is a big worry. It is, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. The manner of defeat has got to be very important. I think looking at the three home games they've got, they're the three home games, you know, they're pretty easier of the three home games rather than the other way around. I think their three home games have got to be fancy winning, should win all those, and then, as you say, playing against Ireland out there, playing against Wales at Cardiff, you want to be in the match. If you're in the match and you get beaten by a late penalty or you know, you're within five points, whatever it might be, and you think, you know what, we were in that, then you can live with it. If things go wrong on Saturday and we end up getting pumped by the Irish, 
that's when you think, okay, you know, how are we going to how are we going to compete in the World Cup when we get to these close matches? We need to be able to stay in games the way that the way that um, good sides can. They can just keep the scoreline ticking over slowly and cling on to the opposition, even if they're not ahead. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's full contact with the Telegraph. Thank you to my co-host James Simpson, Daniel, and as always, my producer Abby Patterson. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you haven't done already. But for now, it's goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.